It's good to be here tonight. I just want to thank you for having me. It's nice for us all to be together, isn't it? Um, if you see that I'm having trouble with my glasses, it's because I need to go to the eye doctor because my glasses, my eyes have definitely gotten better. So I'm kind of like trying to figure out when I put them on, when I take them off. So I have an appointment coming up tomorrow just to figure this whole thing out. So I want to go ahead and pray, and then I'm going to go ahead and introduce what we're going to talk about tonight. Like my shoes? It's the first time for everything. <laughs> preaching. I got preaching shoes. I got my sneakers on. I figured, you know, might as, might as well do it here at New Beginnings, <laughs> where my family would accept me and come just as I am. <laughs> so, Heavenly Father, we just thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that the Lord is the strength of our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. You've called us to be here for such a time as this. I ask that you, as always, as you always do, anoint me tonight to minister this word to your people, this strategic message that is so important for this particular body of believers. We thank you and we praise you by faith that you will continue to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk to you tonight on the subject of contending for the hearts and destiny of our children through prayer. Would you like me to repeat that? I'm going to talk to you tonight about contending for the hearts and destiny of our children through prayer. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we'll see how it goes, but I generally sense a teaching anointing on me tonight. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to begin our message by painting a vision within your heart. And it's very important when it comes to prayer, especially the prayer of intercession, which is prayer for another, that you have a vision in your heart of what the end result should look like. And the end result always looks like what Jesus said in his word, what the Father said in his word. It is the word of God that is our foundation. It is the word of God that is the sticky substance. It is the word of God that we look to for answers. Are you listening? And for vision. So with that in mind, I know that there's probably people here that don't have children or grandchildren, but I want you to listen to this message because for the most part, someday you will have your own, uh, your own children. Okay? Are you with me? So we're going to paint a vision tonight, and then we're going to see how we go. Our opening text is from Psalms 127, verse 3 and 4. It says here, Behold... Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you my testimony. And it's hard to believe that this testimony comes from about almost 30 years ago. Um, about 30 years ago, I wanted to conceive and have children and the father of my children and myself at the time were having trouble 
So we ended up going to a fertility doctor who was located in Pennsylvania. And so there began the process. I don't know if anybody in here has ever struggled with infertility, but I have good news for you tonight. God is going to bless your barren womb. He blessed mine, and God is no respecter of persons. There is hope for your future. And if you've been desiring to have children, you've been having trouble conceiving, you look to the Lord and look to him for wisdom. Because my healing came in the beginning for the first part, my first pregnancy, by going to a fertility doctor. And when I went to this fertility doctor, I was... To be honest, I come from Kenneth E. Hagin's school, taught the word of faith, was believing God for children, and I was a little upset that I had to go the doctor route. But how many of you know that God uses doctors? Absolutely, 100%, he gives them wisdom. If I'm praying for somebody that's seeing a doctor or having surgery, I always say, Lord, guide the surgeon's hands. Give the doctors wisdom and how they treat so-and-so. So God definitely uses doctors. But for me personally, I was a little upset that I had to go through that route of using the doctor. And so began the process of treating, in the, the, treating the infertility, which began with endometriosis and so on and so forth. And so when I was coming home from one of my doctor visits, I pulled into the driveway, opened the garage door, and as my car was halfway in the garage, I heard the Lord say to me, you are going to have twins in your first pregnancy. And in your second pregnancy, you will have a singleton, he said, and you will get pregnant on your own. First of all, I didn't even know what a singleton was. I just figured that it's one baby. And then I looked it up today to make sure that what I was saying to you was the truth. Are you listening? And so I wrote that down. I still have the original piece of paper. I was going to take a screenshot of it and give it to the media guys. But, you know, that's just a lot of work. But I do have the original piece of paper. And so he said to me, what did God say? The rhema said, you will have twins in your first pregnancy, and you will get pregnant through in vitro fertilization. But he said in the second pregnancy, you will get pregnant on your own. So I wrote it down, put, brought that piece of paper in, shut the garage, and continued with my treatment. And so what happened for me was I did in vitro. We went the in vitro route, and they implanted three embryos, and two babies took the first shot. Now, those of you that understand what I'm talking about understand that it usually takes multiple tries to get pregnant through in vitro fertilization. Now, what I'm finding out for some friends is they have a whole lot of other ways uh, with technology whereby people can conceive and get the desires of their heart. So we thank God for the medical field. Amen. So I carried those babies and I was very excited. And back in the day... Um, I must have had weekly ultrasounds, so I saw the babies grow from a dot, and then they get a little bigger, and then they look like a tadpole, and I just grow, 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 and then we could tell eventually that one was a girl, one was a boy, but when I reached about the 26th week, 
I began to have contractions. And I was put on bed rest for, for about four weeks. And the contractions kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And that was the time that I decided I'm going to feed my faith. I'm going to feed my faith about what God said about the fruit of my womb. You know, the fruit of your womb is blessed. You know, the Bible says somewhere in Exodus, I don't know exactly where, that none shall lose their young by miscarriage nor be barren in the land. It is a biblical promise for you to bear children if that's the desire of your heart. And God is not withholding that from you. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And and it's God's will for you to be the happy mother of children. And so he will give you the desires of your heart. And so about 26 weeks, I started going into preterm labor. They strapped me up with, you know, one of those harnesses. And then, you know, I don't know what it is about these in-laws. They just don't want to listen. <laughs> and I told my sister-in-law, I said, listen, you got to have the baby shower way earlier because sometimes twins can come a couple of weeks early. Right. You know, I wasn't expecting nine weeks early. But I said they, they could sometimes come a couple weeks early. So the day of my shower, and John Burrito was there, the day of my shower... That's Beth's brother, by the way. The day of my shower, I went into full-blown labor. I was literally absent from my own baby shower. But the beauty of it is, they were a bunch of believers, so they were praying for me. And they were not only praying for me, they were praying for my babies. My babies that had been promised me. My babies that God said I would have. Do you know the devil will always try to kill, steal, and destroy? That's why it's very important that you gird up the loins of your mind, get sober, get vigilant and watchful. And and I'm just going to say it straight up. Realize you are in a war. We are in a war right now over the hearts and the destinies of our children. And, and there is and a tremendous amount of warfare and opposition and things are being taught in school and confusion and witchcraft and horoscopes and social media and eating disorders and filters on pictures and suicide and all kinds of things going on with their children. And I have the heart of God in this regard that he is very concerned about our children. And it's very important that as parents, we wake up. Listen, guys, I understand it. We are in, have been in a pandemic, and we, a lot of us, are tired. And there's some discouragement in the atmosphere. But this is not a time for you to draw back. This is not a time for you to put your head in the sand. This is not a time for you to be an, excuse me, an absent father or an absent mother. It's a time for you to, to begin to understand that the pressure that you are experiencing is so much more on the youth of our nation. There's never been a day like this day, never been a time like this time, where the youth of our nation are under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure and uncertainty. 
And I think if we would re could read their minds, like the song says, what a tale our thoughts would tell, or their thoughts would tell. So I went into preterm labor, and here I am on the way to the hospital, John Bereavda, the father of my kids, and we're in on our way to the hospital, going directly to Pennsylvania, because I wasn't really ready, registered at a hospital yet, because my babies weren't supposed to come for another 10 weeks. We hadn't crossed that bridge. And so we got to the doctor, we're admitted into the hospital, and they, you know, when it comes to babies that are preemies, the, if they stay in your womb one hour long, longer than expected, that's good for their lungs. So we were holding on, and I was holding them in as long as I possibly could. They're giving me medication and steroids and so on and so forth. So then all of a sudden, it was just the whole deal. All right, we need an emergency C-section. Got to get these babies out. Babies out? They're, they're, they're almost 11 weeks early. What do you mean, babies out? God, didn't you say that you were going to make me the happy mother of children? Didn't you say that none would lose their young by miscarriage nor be barren in the land? Didn't you say that I would be the happy mother of twins in my first pregnancy and a single knitin in my second? Did God really say that? You know, the thief, like I said, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Did God really say, Eve and Adam, that you shouldn't eat of that true? Did God really say that? Is he deceiving you? No, God is not a man that he should lie. What he says, he will make good. But listen, my friends, we have got to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of the promises of God and understand that our faith and our prayers and our persistence opens up the door for God to work and keeps God working specifically tonight on the behalf of the hearts and destiny of our children. We can't say that our child is too far because where sin abounds, grace does so much more abound. You look at uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. He was on a bad road, a long road, and he was killing people and murdering people, and God only knows what else. But one day, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changed his life forever. I am telling you, your child can have an encounter with Jesus Christ, change his life forever, be called into the ministry, launched into a worldwide ministry. You never know what your prayers will produce. So it's not a time for us to draw back. It's not a time for us to quit. Are you listening? So here I am, you know, in the emergency room, C-section, you know, the whole thing. And my daughter was actually supposed to be here tonight. I was kind of hoping she could because this is a lot about her. Uh, and you'd see a visual of who she is today. You know, they, they took my son out first. Now, the interesting thing is when I was pregnant with my kids, uh, weeks prior, the Lord told me that my firstborn would be a boy and to name him John. I named him Jonathan. Is that okay? <laughs> they still call him John. God was cool with it. It means the same thing. But when they went in to take the babies out, my son came out first. Now, in a twin delivery, if it was a normal birth, process, baby 
A would have been baby B, and baby B would have been baby A. In other words, my daughter would have been born first. But because it was C-section, he came out first. And he came out, and I heard him cry, and he was, you know, cry, cry, big cry. And then when they went in to get my daughter, she was stuck up inside my ribs. And she didn't want to come out. (laughs) Are you listening? How many of you moms remember the day you gave birth? You know what I'm talking about. She didn't want to come out. And she kept going up, and they kept trying to go in. And then when they finally got her out, she wasn't crying. There was no cry. No cry. And, they, and, they, and that was the beginning of my understanding that I gave birth to my babies. And right there in the delivery room, I had the understanding that now I was responsible and called to give birth to their purpose, their destiny, and right here, then and now, I was called to pray for her and go to war on her behalf to keep her alive, keep her from getting brain damage, keep her healthy, and so on and so forth. So right there in the delivery room, my ministry of intercession began for my children. And then it was the realization. I I was born to be their mother. I was born to be their watchman. I was born to be their mentor. I was born to to war on their behalf. Are you listening? Just so you know, (laughs) for those of you that are wondering, the kids came home at 3 pounds and 3.5. You know, they let me take them home because I lived at the hospital. That's just how I roll. I'm not going to be far from where they are. No weapon formed against them will prosper. I am going to watch over them and guard them. Did you sleep? I did not sleep. Did it matter? Didn't matter. A mother's love, a father's love exceeds any love on the face of this planet. And there's no better intercessor, no better watchman than you praying and standing in the gap for your own children. Nobody will persevere like you persevere. Nobody will pray like you pray. Nobody will pull them up out of the pit and out of the hell and out of the darkness like you will. I have a friend, she prayed for her daughter relentlessly because her daughter was dabbling in whether or not she wanted to be with a boy or a girl. A lot of gender confusion today. And I don't care, I'm in a pulpit, I could say it, it's true. You see it on the news and I go, oh, you're a he, a her, an I, a we, a he, a she, a, but you're a guy, what are you? A lot of gender, like, you know, they, there's just a lot of confusion. Do you know that she went to war on her behalf? And do you know that she is in a healthy relationship today with an amazing young man? Could she have given up? She could have given up. But did she give up? She said, there is no way. I am not going to fight for my child. And nobody could do it for her. She had to do it herself. So just so you know, boy, you could feel the brakes go on when I talked about that. Ah! 
okay. I'm not going to say it from the pulpit, but when you're born with something, you are a man. And when you're born with another thing, you are a girl. Thank you very much, Gorb. That's good preaching, Marty. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so here's the deal. I brought them home. Danielle kept throwing up her food because I didn't know she had this reflux thing. I kept her out of the hospital by being constantly feeding her every two hours. And then my, I, I just started not to feel good. I don't feel good. What is this? Am I tired? I can't eat. I have another situation, which we won't mention from the pulpit. So I go to this doctor, and he's examining me, and he's like, Do you, I think you might have parasites. I'm like, parasites? He says, are you pregnant? And I said, no, I'm not pregnant. And he said, you can't be pregnant and taking this medication. I said, well, all right, I'm not pregnant. I went home, started taking the medication because I didn't feel good. <laughs> and two days later, something, something, someone on the inside of me said, stop taking the medication. Stop taking it. Seven months after my twins were born, I found out I was five months pregnant. That little thing that kept moving around in here, lo and behold, oh, prophet of God, was a baby. <laughs> Spirit of seeing and knowing is in manifestation in these days. I got a baby inside of me and don't even know it. In less than two months, she was born, and she was born December 24th as my gift from God. Normal delivery, everything about her was normal. The only thing God didn't tell me about that word was that I'd have all three of them in one year. <laughs> I think sometimes God withholds things from us because if he told us everything, we wouldn't be able to handle it. But I was the happy mother of children, happiest days of my life. I got to stop traveling and be a mom. And little did I realize that I was not only, this is all relevant to what I'm saying. You guys good with it? Not only was I their mom, my kids' mom, and I was mentoring them, and it was part of my ministry, even though it wasn't public, I was also mentoring all the kids that came to my house and hung out with them and hung out with me because I was the house everybody came to. You see how sometimes we mix up ministry? Sometimes your ministry's right in front of you. Boom, your kids. How many of you remember when the 9-11 when the came down? I remember I was preaching at Grace and Peace two weeks after the 9-11 Twin Towers came down. And I was like, Lord. And it was one of the first times I was getting ready to go out again and speak again because things were getting easier at home. I said, Lord, what am I going to speak on? I can't remember what I spoke on, but I do remember what he said to me. He said, you tell these people, the ladies, they were all ladies. It was a ladies' meeting. He said that the kids that are born in this time and born in this season, those who I have called, I have equipped 
Tell the parents not to be afraid. I have put something on the inside of them that no other generation has on the inside of them. What this generation has, you and I don't have. There is something on the inside of them. They were born for a time such as this. So we need to stop worrying and start praying into their future, into their destiny, and into what God has in store for them. Okay? So I saw an article in Time Magazine. It was in 2016. Here's something negative, but we're going to get to the positive. And the article said, it was the November 7, 2016 issue, the kids are not all right. Subtitle, American teens are anxious, depressed, and overwhelmed. Experts are struggling over how to help them. Adolescence, it goes on to say, today, now this was in 2016, but I think it's still relevant because I've seen it. I'm surrounded by it because my kids tell me everything, and so do their friends. Do you know, if you keep an open heart with your kids and with their friends, they'll come and tell you literally any, everything. I'm talking everything. <laughs> How many remember Dr. Ruth? <laughs> yeah, everything. Questions. Keep an open heart. Adolescents today have a reputation for being more fragile, less resilient, and more overwhelmed than their parents were when they were growing up, which I actually agree with that. I've had people, well, they don't agree. Oh, no, they're not. I don't agree with that. No, I actually, you know, when I was growing up, we were catching lightning bugs in the backyard. Do you know that the other day, my daughter was with me. She was visiting from California, and I was getting ready to walk the dog. It was about 7.30 at night, and she goes, Mommy, I think I heard gunshots in the backyard. Gunshots? Like, why would you even think that? Because that's what they've experienced. She said, this article goes on to say, sometimes they are called coddled or helicoptered. I thank God I helicoptered my kids in a healthy way because they need it. Why are young people suffering? Anxiety and depression has been on the rise since 2012 after several years of stability. I believe it's because of everything they experience, and I believe there's so much more now that we're in 2021. So what's the good news? This is the good news. Our kids, this generation, the Lord said to me, they are and are called and marked as a Joshua generation. What is a Joshua generation? First of all, the meaning of Joshua means God is deliverance. The book of Joshua shows us God's faithfulness to his covenant. Has God forsaken our children? No. His faithfulness to his covenant with the Israelites to bring them into the land he promised to Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? Be strong and courageous. God was reassuring Joshua, and he's reassuring this Joshua generation to be strong and courageous, not to fear. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always to the ends of this earth. Fear not. God will never forsake his people. In the beginning, and I think this is a key word for this ministry. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, 
<clears throat> Moses, the hero and great leader, had died, and now the biggest challenge for Joshua had come. It was time for him to arise and take his place. Joshua couldn't live on the revelation Moses had received. That's why we got to train and equip this next generation, who they are in Christ, the principles of faith, why is there so much power in the name of Jesus, their authority as the believer, lost teachings that are being revived by the mothers and the fathers. He needed his own fresh revelation. Moses' revelation was yesterday's revelation. God, even though the word of God lives and abides forever, these young people have got to get it for themselves. God's plan for Joshua was to enter the land with express purpose of conquering it. Joshua had no thought of surrender. He believed he would conquer and take full possession. See, I think that's what's on the inside of our kids and our grandkids. They got that, it's called the grit factor. It may look like they're wobbly. It may look like they're shaking a little bit. But I believe that God has caused them to be strong and courageous. And as we begin to do what Aaron and her did with Moses, hold up their arms, they're going to see signs and wonders and miracles to their own generation, from their own generation. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, Moses was a hero and great leader. We already said that. The book of Joshua also begins as Joshua is called into leadership. For wherever God brings a new beginning, no pun intended, he raises up new leadership to initiate it. For now, many of our youth are in training. And submitting to our leadership and our training. Joshua was mentored by Moses, and he was one of the greatest leaders to ever live. Joshua had been Moses' personal assistant. What an opportunity to learn from somebody who knows more than you. I'm still learning from people who know more than me. Day in and day out, Joshua walked alongside a devoted leader who heard from God. And as Joshua remained faithful to Moses and to God, he was promoted and made ready for the transfer of leadership. That's what God's doing. Do you know that there's mothers and fathers in the earth today, like myself, Pastor Joe, some of the, some of the others, that we, we're just, you know what I feel like? I just feel like I'm just a mother. I'm just a mentor. I'm just called to train and equip. It's not time to retire. It's time to refire. Listen, we have a job to do. Look at Joyce Meyer. How old is she? 74 years old? You, you, you draw back a little bit. You get a little, you know, you can't be like, it's like in the gym. You, I can't lift like 75 pounds in the bench press anymore. I'm down to like 45. You got to go with the flow of the season you're in. <laughs> Are you listening? So we, the spiritual mothers and fathers, are like Moses. And our children and our grandchildren, they are the Joshuas. Are you got the vision now? Okay. Now the call to this generation, 1 Peter 2.9. The scripture says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. 
They, these young people, are a chosen generation. Now listen, my friends, and I'm going to tell you, the enemy sees it, and he is afraid of them. Afraid of my kid? I can't even get my kid to pick up his own clothes on the floor. Oh, no, no, there's something on the inside of your children and your grandchildren. Mark it down. I am telling you that the enemy is afraid of. I don't know how he sees it. I don't know how he knows. I don't know how everything works in the spirit, but he is afraid of this generation of young people that are alive on the planet Earth today. Jeremiah 1.5, before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you. Now, in this case, it was Jeremiah to be a prophet, but he has ordained these kids to live in this time. No accidents. Why would God tell me you're going to have twins in your first pregnancy and a singleton in your second and your second get pregnant on your own? Why would he tell me all that? Because they're chosen. Well, did the kids know that they're chosen? I don't tell. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> nothing. Let them figure it out for themselves. Listen, destiny is, it says in Ecclesiastes, destiny is written in their heart. Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was, the destiny was within his heart. Within the hearts of our children, there is a destiny that is already formed within them. We're going to get into this more next week. So when we pray, listen, this is so good. We're praying into that destiny, into that purpose. We're not praying worry prayers. We're not praying controlling prayers. We're not praying living vicariously through our children prayers. We are praying into the unseen, unknown destiny that's on the inside of their hearts. And I could see this as I'm up here. I see our young people and I see the destiny in their hearts and it's stirring and it's stirring, and it's stirring. Doesn't the Bible say stir up the gift of God that is within you? It's stirring. It's stirring. And then you have somebody come along and squash it down. Maybe a counselor at college or an ungodly person, Psalms 1. Maybe they're listening to the counsel of the ungodly, and so therefore their destiny is squashed. But as a praying parent, listen, you have power and authority, and if you don't mind the word, control in the realm of the spirit. And don't ever doubt your authority. You may not be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. How many of you are a perfect parent? Okay, I'm going to be transparent. Can I be transparent? One day, because, you know, these kids are being taught all kinds of stuff in school, and I think a lot of it's good, and I think it keeps them safe because we need that. One day my son comes home, second grade. He goes, Mommy, did you know that every time you yell at us, it's domestic violence? (laughs) 
I'm like, I'll give you domestic, no, no. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm Italian. I was raised with a brother who was hard of hearing. And you guys act like you're hard of hearing. So am I raising my voice at times? Yes. How did we get into that? I have absolutely no idea. We're praying into their destiny. Remember that? Ecclesiastes 3.2, I already quoted it. Okay? Okay? Kenneth E. Hagin once said, and I think it was in 1986, and, and you remember it, and I remember, I thought it was going to be us. I was hoping and really wanted it to be us. He said, him, I can tell you the whole prophecy. He said, he said there's going to come a time when God raises up a new breed of uh, a new breed of people, a new breed of warriors, and it'll be said of them. I'm, I got goosebumps. You don't mind. <laughs> Like it was said of the early church, they that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. Wow. Somebody was just under my pavilion the other day talking to my daughter. He's my landscaper, and he's a really cool guy. But he doesn't understand some things about what we understand. You understand? <laughs> I don't want to get into it. But he said, because <laughs> he's got a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and an 11-year-old. He said, I just think that something's got to happen with this generation. And I smiled, and I said, yes, yeah, something is going to happen. He goes, well, what do you think it is? I says, a revival, a revolution, an awakening. The enemy is afraid of this up-and-coming generation of young people and even the leaders. They have more potential and gifting than any other generation. He is not, and I think I asked them to put that up there. If they did, don't, it's fine. He is not just afraid of who they are. He is afraid of who they are becoming or will become. I remember I was preaching in a women's conference with Yolanda Stith, and I don't remember what year it is or was because it's in my new book that's coming out at the end of the month on this subject. And I remember I was prophesying, and, and I saw, you know how you, you know in part, you prophesy in part, and you just keep getting all these little keys, and that's how it is with your kids, you know. You don't know everything about them all at once, but you start to see uh, mysteries come into light and you start to see little things here and there you start to notice their love language you start to read you know oh, that my kid is empathetic oh he must have a sensitive discerning spirit you, you could kind of like use some of the natural things like the five love language and that can actually help you be a good parent it's not just all praying in the closet and I remember prophesying and what the spirit of God said he said there's never been a generation like this generation where I have put within these young people little Joshua's, little Caleb's, little Rahab's, little Deborah's. He says, well, watch over them and pray for them that their faith fail not. Amen. Romans 5.2 says, where sin abounds, grace does so much more abound. Let me just tell you something. If you don't mind my body language, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I am not moved. I am going to be steadfast 
immovable, always abounding in the labor of love, of intercession, on the behalf of my children, knowing that my labors are not in vain, knowing that the effectual fervent prayer of a praying parent avails much. I'm not moved. I don't care what they say. Don't be moved. You know what? When they say it, go, let it go right over your head. Half the time, they're looking for your reaction. Just let it go right over your head. Do you know what I love about your Instagram account? I don't know who runs it, but, I mean, I love you have these confessions over your kids. See? It's very important what you say about your kids in their presence and not in their presence. Listen, life and death are in the power of your words. You create atmospheres around your children with your words. How many of you ever had to repent over something you said over one of your children or your mate or whoever? We all have. You, just, you know what you do? I just break the power of those words in Jesus' name. And I, I, this is what I do because Mark 11, 23 and 24 say, say, say. So I, I break the power of those words in the name of Jesus. I break the power of those words in the name of Jesus. I break the power of those words in the name of Jesus. They're broken. I just make sure I got our bases covered. <laughs> you guys having fun? This is a good word. It's not coming out exactly, but we're following the Holy Spirit. Don't you love the Holy Spirit? And we still have next week. We're going to teach you how to pray for the hearts and destiny of your children. You, know, you can't just preach on it. You've got to show people how. This is going to be this generation, Acts 4.33. Great grace is going to be upon them. I don't believe it. Isn't there a lot of sin in the world? Isn't there a lot of hell in the world? Isn't there a lot of earthquakes in the world? Isn't there a lot of volcanoes in the world? Isn't there a lot of, isn't there a pandemic in the world? Isn't there a lot of social distancing in the world? Isn't there a lot of wearing your mask in the world? Isn't there a lot of shooting in the world? They need more grace. Guess what? They got it. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And you've heard me say this. The book of Acts has no amen on it. So if great grace was upon them, what's going to be on our generation? I'm going to take about 10 more minutes. Is that okay? This is, this is what I told God today. Because... As mothers and fathers, for me, the season I'm in right now, it, it's not easy. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm done plowing, but now what? I'm I, the plowing thing. I'm missing that. I don't know how to, can I be honest? Because this is helping me even to say it, because I'm in the anointing, and he's teaching me as well. That plowing thing isn't there. And I told my team about this the other day, that plowing thing. What's that plowing thing? That vision thing, that plow. You get in there, and you work, and you dig, and you dig, and you dig. I want that back. But you know what God's telling me? You're not called to plow. You plowed. You're 64 years old. You plowed, honey, for 42 years. Time for you to impart. Time for you to strengthen. Time for you to mentor. 
You can even lay in your bed and be on the phone with somebody that you're mentoring and they'll never know it in your flannel pajamas. <laughs> that plowing thing is, I don't have it. You young people that are in here, you've got it. There is a fire in you that God is burning within you. And this is what I felt when I began this, and I didn't say it. There's you, you leaders that are here. There's a fire in you. And this message, you may not have kids of your own, but this message is for you. You are called. You are marked. You are anointed. Step up to the plate. Don't be lazy. Read the book, The Grit Factor. Get in the game. Be the army of God that he's called you to be and called you to do. But I told God today, I told God today, you know, on the way here, I said, God, listen, that, that thing, I, I love that thing. I'm a little confused. I think we're in transition. That's what I think it is. So when you're in transition, what do you do? You just wait. Just waiting. Not going to stop. Going to keep doing. You know, what do you do when God is silent? You've heard pastors say it. You just keep doing what you've always done. Till he says to do something else. But I told God, listen, if, if you want me to just train, mentor, equip, stay rooted and grounded in certain churches here on the East Coast, I am going to do that. I want to say this before we go into the last 10 minutes. I'm surrounded by kids. They call me Godmother. Godmother, they, I told you they talked to me about everything. I'm talking kids, and I'm not talking church kids all the time. And I'm not religious around them. I don't preach to them. But I live the life. And they come in my house, and they see all my little signs everywhere. <laughs> I need to know what I'm talking about. They sense the presence of God. They sense unconditional love. They sense, and I'm going to say it and be bold about it, they sense wisdom. They sense understanding. They sense experience, and they want it. They need answers. You have the answers. Go tell them. Okay? So, how do we contend for the hearts and destiny of our children through prayer? Number one, remember... Prayer opens up the door for God to work. It's a typical Joyce Meyer statement. Right? And I took it from her. <laughs> Are we preparing the way for our children in the spirit? My kids were little. I laid hands on them every single night. Well, I can't say every single. I would say to the best of my ability, 90% of the time. Because three kids in one year, you're tired. But no matter how tired I was... I was determined to, to plant the seed of prayer because I knew someday they'd go to college. They'd be on their own. Not just driving them to all their activities, tutoring them. How many of you were in the car eight, nine hours a day? Oh, my God, hockey, dance, tutoring. I spent thousands of dollars on tutoring for my three kids. They were never like, you know, my one daughter, Danielle, the one that was, I was telling you about, she's like, they're all smart in their own way. But what is really the greatest gift we can give them? The gift 
of our praying. James 5.16 says, amplified, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. Catherine Coleman once said, the greatest power given to any individual is the power of prayer. Leroy Brownlow said, let us not neglect prayer just because we do not fully comprehend the infinite power of the God at whose throne we kneel. I do not know everything about gravity, but I know it works. The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson said, each prayer is like a seed that gets planted in the ground. And then he said what I said earlier, you'll never be a perfect parent, but you could be a praying parent. Prayer is your highest privilege as a parent. Prayer turns ordinary parents into prophets who shape the destinies of their children, their grandchildren, and every generation that follows. Your prayers for your children are the greatest legacy you can leave. I'm going to stop here. And we'll go into how to pray for our children next week. Are you good with that? In my book, Mark for Intercession, it was the very first book I wrote. My books actually got better as time went on because I got a really good editor. <laughs> it really helps when you have somebody who's smarter than you <laughs> with putting sentences together and so on and so forth. But in that particular book, I dedicated it to my three children. And I said, I dedicate this book. To be honest, everything I've done, I've done for them. I want to tell you that was the God's truth. Everything I've done, I've done for them. We did a YouTube channel. My vision was to leave a legacy for my kids. I tell them, I tell them all the time, like, you know what? When mommy's not here anymore, you'll finally watch my teachings. Stop saying that! <laughs> Guaranteed they will. But it's interesting because when they're in my house lately, they, they quote me. And they don't even know. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? But in my book, Mark for Intercession, I said, I'd, oh, a cute little baby. I want one. Is that you a grandmother? Who's the, who's, who's the, you the mommy? Oh, Lord, Father. <laughs> when the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I'm saying I want a grandchild. But it's not my will. <laughs> I mean, no, that's the truth. I said, long after I've left this earth, I dedicate this book to Jonathan. You could stand. Danielle and Jacqueline. You could stand. And I said in the book, I said, long after I've left this earth, and I know it, I know that I know that I know that I know, my prayers will continue to avail much. None of your prayers are ever wasted. The prayers that Jesus prayed are eternal, and they're still working in the earth today. As a praying parent, you can leave a legacy of prayer and change the course of their lives. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Did you get anything out of this tonight? You prayed for your kids.
and look at the fruit. How many of you prayed for your kids and saw dramatic changes? Amen? Thank you, Lord. Well, let me just wait on the Lord for just a minute. We worship you. We worship you, my God. My God, my God. Mm-hmm. Father, help us. Help us to be as effective as we can as parents, as grandparents, as praying parents, as leaders and mentors. Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray and flow in the rhythm of prayer. Father, I pray for every single parent under the sound of my voice and grandparent. I pray, Lord God, that the words that I've spoken would be embedded in their hearts, that even as your word says, it does not return void, but it'll continue to produce I pray that you would anoint them with fresh oil. Even as what we're going to talk about next week about prayer assignments and discerning a prayer assignment, I pray that you'd begin that even now, that you'd begin to anoint them and that the gifts would be in operation right in their own homes so that they would see trouble coming from afar and they would be able to abort things that are trying to come against their children and Lord, Lord, we ask, we covet earnestly for these manifestations right in our own homes. And Father, you know, Lord, we could do this because you know how many hairs we have on, on everyone's head. So Father, we could pray for every child, every grandchild under the sound of my voice all at once and it'll work. Father, we pray for our children, our grandchildren, and all those that are represented in this building today. We pray, God, that you would apprehend them, that there would be an apprehension of the presence of Jesus Christ and the goodness of God that would draw them in and lead them to repentance, just like Saul on the road to Damascus. We ask that we call for an apprehension in Jesus' name. And, Father, we also pray for those that are believers that are in church or out of church or they're born again and they're kind of like in between. We pray, Father, that the eyes of their heart would be opened and enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of their calling, that they would understand and comprehend fully your heart, that they would see your heart in a new way. And, Lord, we also pray, lastly, <laughs> that you would give them dreams and visions in the night. When slumber comes upon them and they're sleeping and they're not thinking and they're not on their phones, we ask that you'd invade their dreams. Give, in, even in their dreams that they would see their purpose and their destiny. That you would begin to work in our children and our grandchildren both to will and to do of the, your good pleasure and what is already written on their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you believe that? Amen. See, I believe it. I just know that I know that I know that I know that when I pray, God hears me. And if I know he hears me, I know I have the petitions I desire of him. How many of you know that? So what's going to be the plan? Don't be moved by what you see. Do a Margie Florent. Don't be moved. Just keep praying. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Amen? 